If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now, if you've been here with us for a little while, and many of you have, we've continued to work through this understanding of, of suffering, this understanding of trials, that the Lord brings his people through trials. And as, as we've been together for the last several weeks, we've remembered that he brings, them through, brings us through them for our good and his glory. Amen, church? The illustration that we continually use again and again is being refined in the fire. We enter into trial so that the dross may be burned away from us as God's people. And therefore, we don't want to lean away from the trials that God sends us. We instead would rather lean into them. Now, lean into them does not mean that we seek them out, that we chase after the drama, that we delight in the hard things that come to us. That doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when the hard times come, we don't run. Amen, church? And we don't lash out in anger, and we don't, we don't lash out in, in, how dare God do this to me? And we don't do any of those kind of things. Instead, we trust that our difficult seasons comes with a good purpose from a good God for our good and for His glory, because the Bible promises that to us over and over and over and over again. So Christian, to the faithful in the room, your difficulties have a good purpose. Your trials have a good purpose. And as hard as they may be for you to endure, and I know many of you are going through it, but as hard as they may be, one day in glory, we may all look back at these moments and say, thanks be to God, because look at the work that he has done. Today, we're going to get more into the why why suffering? Why trials? What exactly is the Lord trying to do? And we're going to begin with our text today. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 1 through 6 together, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord for help. Verse 1, and David, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. Now, if you remember, the Amalekites were basically a, a demon devil-worshipping people. And they had made a raid against David and his men and their families and had taken them away. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, verse 2, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and the wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Abinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. But remember, pay attention to why he was distressed. Because if you're a leader and your people are going through trial, very often that will point to you first and foremost. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God let's pray father we thank you for your word and we pray that you would teach us help us to hear and heed and obey and delight in it father while we walk through the valley of the shadow of death may we trust in you may we look to you may your word be a light to our path and may we hold fast to all of your wonderful, wonderful promises. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 
Now, for those of you who are new here in Christ Church, I see we have a lot of visitors in the room. We believe in the goodness of families. Amen? And that means that we got kiddos in the room. And when you got kiddos in the room, what do they do? They make noise. Amen. I'd like we said we said that loud, didn't we? We said that loud because we know we know it's true. Children are a blessing, and we will continue to enjoy our children together. And that means that I just know you grown-ups, y'all can focus up while a kid coos a little bit in the background, can't you? I know y'all can. We're gonna be just fine. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. You don't need to go there, just write it down in the margin of your notes. As we're talking through this morning, the joys and the goodness of suffering that the Lord gives to us, those good gifts, we need to understand a little bit more of the, the foundational reason why. Why does the Lord send hardship and suffering upon our lives? Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. We're gonna read verse seven through nine. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now think about the analogy that Paul is giving us there in 2 Corinthians. Think about it. We have great treasure within us. Amen? We have the promise of the gospel. We have the promise of God's covenantal blessings. We have the promise of his goodness. We have the promise that these these trials come with a purpose. But all of that treasure is contained within jars of clay. Mortal people, mortal bodies that that break easily, that decay with age, that, that, that suffer hardship. We have all this treasure that the Lord has given us and promised us and continues to pour out upon us our entire lives, and yet we are so very frail. Amen? This past week, I've told several of you this already, but this past week, really this past month, we've been having like health trial after health trial after health trial after health trial in our house. And it, it, we, had two, we had one kid with two bouts of pneumonia and a giant swollen salivary gland on their face. We had other issues with different things. We've had infections. We've had three, four maybe trips to the emergency room for different capacities. It's been quite the thing. And in the midst of all of that, I look back at it now and I remember... The fear. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fear that I, I might lose one of my kids. Fear that, that something might be seriously wrong with, with one of my children's health conditions. This fear that crept into me and this worry and this concern. And this is good for me. To be reminded that we have these tremendous, wonderful, good treasures, promises, blessings from the Lord but yet we're frail. We're weak. One of the biggest things that you can take away from that particular understanding immediately is, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is okay to be weak. Amen? It is okay. It is okay for you to, in your moments of weakness, say, God, I... I am weak. <laughs> if you're trying to show me, you have shown me. It has been proven. I, I see my frailty. I see the frailty of the human condition. I see it. I am weak. I see it. I know that it's happening. We are but jars of clay. Easily breakable. Easily crackable. Easily to be shattered. Brothers and sisters, first, first. It is okay. It is okay to be weak. Now, in South Louisiana... So I'm not from here, for those of you that know me very well. Y'all know this. And some of y'all are like, yeah, you ain't from here. We know already. Okay, that's fine. 
But there in South Louisiana, and maybe this is just true for the general South as well, but there is a certain propensity for a South Louisianian to never show weakness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Man, you all right? Everything's fine. You ever seen the dog meme where the house is burning down around him and he's like, this is fine. That is the caricature of South Louisiana, if I could put it in a nutshell. That's us. Everything's fine. We've got no problems. Everything's fine. I'm tough. I'm strong. But the Lord will continuously, as he is good, remind us again and again and again and again and again that we are weak. It's okay to be that. Jacob was given a limp for the rest of his life after he wrestled with God. Jesus, the prophecy, remember in Genesis chapter 3, that he will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will do what to Jesus? It will bruise his heel. Jesus was given a bruised heel. Hosea, the prophet, was told by God, you're going to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> Paul, likely later in his life, was afflicted. You hear about him calling about, crying out about the what? About the thorn in his flesh. You've given me this thorn in my flesh and, and many, many, many more. This is example after example after example after example. The people of God are fragile. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about John Calvin towards the end of his life? One of the greatest revolutionary thinkers in the times of the Reformation. He changed the world with his institutes, with his writings, with so much. And at the end of his life he was so afflicted. He was skinny as a rail. He was ill. He was having difficulty. And his comfort, remember, his comfort was, Father, as long as I know that it comes from your hand, it's going to be okay. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, suffered with illness and sickness and depression and disease and gout. And if you've never had gout, it's not fun, okay? I have a buddy of mine that has gout, and occasionally when he flares up, he can barely even walk. It's terrible. It's terrible. He suffered throughout the duration of his life, but his disposition was for the glory of God, so be it. God's people are jars of clay. We are fragile. And I don't mean fragile in a, in a mental sense, in a, in a social sense, or in like our, our dispositions. I mean that we are weak, and the God of this universe will make sure we know it. Maybe the point of his trial is to remind us again and again that we're not bulletproof. Amen? That hard things happen and, and something there's, sometimes there's nothing that we can do to get around it. At some point or another in your Christian walk with the Lord, the Lord will teach you lessons about your own weakness. Why? Because what does the Bible say? In our weakness, he is strong. You remember the story of Gideon? And from the book of Judges, the Midianites are present. They've got 10,000 some odd soldiers getting ready to just decimate the, the Israelites. And, and Gideon shows up with his army. And what's God say to Gideon and his army? He says, it's too many. It's too many soldiers in that army. You can't go in to fight with that many because you, you might think that you won because you're smart. <laughs> and God continually whittled down their army again and again until, until Gideon had 300 guys. Against 10,000? And all his guys had to fight with were jars and torches because the Midianites were tyrants and they took away their weapons. And the Lord brought about victory. In our weakness, weakness, 
God is strong. Now maybe he does this through illness. Maybe. Maybe he does it through financial hardship. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've, you've lost someone close to yourself and it brings you through trials and difficulties and sadness and all those things. Maybe, maybe he does it not through loss, but through addition. Amen? I remember whenever we, we had our first child. This is what I mean by addition, by the way. I remember whenever we had our first kid, Marie, and we brought her home. Actually, we hadn't even brought her home yet. We were still in the hospital, and I remember looking down at, you know, the little baby incubator thing that they put in your room for a little while. I remember looking down at her in that crib and thinking in my head, everything just changed. <laughs> Every, because before you have kids, you kind of operate in your own schedule, don't you? You kind of move and do as you like and as you please, and you just kind of, yeah, well, I can be out till, you know, 1 a.m., that's fine, you know, whatever. And then you have a child. And suddenly, this cute little adorable sack of potatoes rules your house for a little while, don't they? Because they've got needs, and if you don't meet their needs, they don't live. You know, like, you have to take care of this child. You have to. And so sleep schedules change, work schedules change, and the amount of tired that you thought you could experience as a human being is suddenly much more than you ever realized. I remember one time we, we bought drinks from Sonic, and one of them spilled on the floor, and that just broke our hearts. <laughs> Like we were so sad, and it made no sense because we were that tired. <laughs> See, sometimes God will send us through trials, through difficulties, not just through loss, not just through hardship, but through a joyous thing that suddenly we realize is a, a lot of work. There aren't many things that will bring a household to a grinding and weeping halt, but a newborn is on the list, okay? Absolutely. Y'all pray for our new mamas that we got here in this church. They're going to be all right. Okay. God gives his people the gift of trials again and again and again and again and again in our lives to remind us of our weakness. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, to show that the power belongs to God and not to us. Because if everything was hunky-dory and great in our lives all the time, we would think it's because we were awesome. We were thinking it was because we had our lives together, and the Lord won't do that. I've talked to many Christians who, after they become Christians, it's as though they're shocked that they still have hardships and trials in their lives. I thought Jesus was going to fix all of these things. Why are things still broken? Well, of course they're still broken, because you need refining, <laughs> because the Lord's going to change and challenge you, change and challenge you, and that's a good, good gift. So, God sends us, trials, sends us trials to remind us of our weakness. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Another reason that the Lord sends us trials is because it, it shames the wise. Amen? Can we just be completely honest here? To be weak is embarrassing. Can we say that out loud? Amen. To be fragile is embarrassing. To say, I need help, it, it brings a lot of shame onto some of us, and it really shouldn't do that. To be fragile is embarrassing. You, I mean, what's the way that I could think about this? You, you don't win the awards in public because you're so delightfully fragile. You know what I'm saying? We gave him this great award for our local community because he is weak. Like, that, nobody gets awards for that. You don't get invited to speak at the conference because you're so fragile. If you are fragile, your weakness is on display before the world and... And you don't get the, the big reputation that goes with it. 
The proud, the big shots, the hot shots, they don't want to be numbered with the jars of clay, so they, they push it away. But if you are a Christian, the Lord will humble you. He will. And He will bring good, hard trials on your life so that you may trans- be transformed by His grace. The proud want their shine to be on the outside. They want their glory to be seen. But what did 2 Corinthians teach us? That our treasure is within us and we are but jars of clay. Amen? Our treasure is within us. We, we want to be seen by the world as these great, successful, marvelous, wonderful people who have done such great things. Look at me for what I have accomplished. And the Lord he ain't going to fly that way with us, is he? What does he say to us again and again? What does he say to us? He promises the, that the meek will inherit the earth, right? He, he promises that in our weakness, he is strong. And he promises to send us trials and difficulties for our good. Stop trying to look strong to the world around us. We're jars of clay. And maybe what the world around us needs to see is our brokenness and our weakness before they come to understand the glory and the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So, while the lowly status will ensure that God gets the credit, it also protects us from those who want to credit themselves, maybe even our own selves. Why didn't the rich young ruler follow Jesus? Do you remember? Because Jesus told him, oh, you want to follow me? Go get rid of all your stuff. And he couldn't. And he went away sad. He went away weeping because of what God was doing to him through those times. So if you want to be fruitful, useful, successful in the Lord, you want to have some some kingdom ambition, just get ready. Because there will be times when the Lord is going to make sure that you look like a jar of clay. And not like a big, shiny, I don't know, Pretty jar? What's a pretty jar? Pick that. A vase? A vase. (laughs) There you go. A vase, yes. (sighs) But how do I know which one I am? Am I a vase? Or am I a jar of clay? How do we know? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again. What happens when you're thrown against a wall? Do you get what I'm saying? What, what happens when, you, when the trial comes? See what happens. Do you, do you make it? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. What happens to you when you're thrown against the wall? Does everything crumble and fall apart? Or are you able to, to make it? Are you able to, be, to, to push through to the other side? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Everything's hard. It's bad. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see somebody at church, I want to say, how, is, how are things going? How you been? Terrible. <laughs> it's, it's been awful. I love some of y'all because y'all do just that. That throws everybody every now and then. How are things going? Awful. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that conversation. It happens to many of us. But that's good. That's a good gift. That's a good gift. Whenever we go through the difficult and awful trials, are we crushed? Are we driven to despair? Or maybe, maybe you're not crushed out of, out of all, all the way, but you, you do that thing where you hide and you, you curl up in a hole and you isolate yourself from everyone else. See, that's the same difference. That's not the way that the Lord would have us go through trial. 
You go through, maybe you, you go through trial and, and what you try to do is instead of hiding away, you try to control everything. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to take this bull by the horns. I'm going to take over. I'm going I'm to set this right. I'm going to make it straight. Maybe the Lord doesn't want you to do that in that particular moment. Or maybe you turn on the people that are closest to you. Maybe whenever you go through trial, whoever the, the nearest person, the nearest human is, is the one that gets unloaded upon. Maybe your household, whenever you're going through something difficult, becomes this awkward silence because no one wants to say the next thing that's going to trigger you and send you over the edge. You see, that's all the same thing. That's all us trying to control, trying to make something happen that we want to happen or just lashing out against those all around us. Or, 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 when you face difficulty, do you say, like John Calvin, as long as I know that it's from your hand, I'm going to be okay. It's hard, it's difficult. And that's not to say that we're not going to have moments of weakness, because you will. But instead, do we trust the Lord and what he's doing in our lives? Do we lash out? Do we get angry? Do we take the bull by the horns? Do we, do we freak out or isolate ourselves? Or do we say, Lord, okay, let's go. What did David do? Look at 1 Samuel 30 again. Go towards the very end in verse 6. What did he do? He strengthened himself in what? In the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. David is a jar of clay, just like Paul, just like all Christians were. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, if we are jars of clay, and God has placed treasure inside of us, then when trials come, what we are going to do is strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We're not going to isolate. We're not going to rage. We're not going to lash out. We're not going to try to take the bull by the horns. We're not going to do any of those things. Instead, we're going to lean into the Lord. But, but preacher, when you say strengthen yourself in the Lord, what does that even mean? Well, it means that as he's going through suffering, he's suffering well. But what precisely does he do? What precisely are, are we supposed to do in these moments? I want to go through a quick review of several of the sermons that we've had, and then I want to give us some new content to help us be able to move forward from there. But just a quick review. First, we, we receive the suffering from a sovereign hand of God, and we know that it is good for us. Amen? God is sending this trial to us for a good purpose, and then we will hold fast to it. We lean in, not away. We don't run. We don't get angry. We submit, and we say, Father, I see you're teaching me something. Okay, I'm listening. Teach me what you're going to teach me. Second, we open up to the Lord. We confess our sins to him. We, we reveal ourselves to him in all of our fragility, in all of our brokenness, in all of our weakness. We give him total control over all of our entire life. Father, I see that I'm going through a trial. Help. You have everything. Do what you want with it. We confess our sins. We hold nothing back. And not only that, but we, we also renew our covenant to the Lord. We, we recommit to him. And we remember his commitment to us as well. We renew and dwell upon the blessings and the promises. Now, that one's a little strange. How do we do that? The easiest thing I can tell you is you show up to church on Sunday no matter what. That's covenant renewal. That's covenant renewal. We gather together every week as God's people to remind ourselves that we are broken, but he is good. And we hear his gospel proclaimed in the midst of our sin and our failures. Christ came and died for us and he laid down his life for us. And if we believe him, he would promise to give us blessings and everlasting life for the rest of our days. And we hold fast and we participate in 
and the sacraments that he gives us, the signs that he gives us. We, we, we baptize new believers and we baptize our, the children of believers because what we're doing in that moment is saying, God, I remember your promises. And I see your promises declared anew to these people and I remember them for me. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Amen, church? Every Sunday because we're reminding ourselves every week that Jesus died for me. And that we are one body, one loaf, one cup, one body that walks through our trials with one another. Amen? Together. I don't know how you could do it otherwise. So renew, we renew our covenant with the Lord. We confess our sins. We enjoy His gospel goodness. We hold fast to His promises. And we petition the Lord according to His promises. Amen? We talked about this last week. You got some sickness problems? God, you promised that you would heal your people. And so by His stripes we are what? Healed. Therefore, Lord, I appeal to your promise for healing. Now, maybe he'll grant it. Maybe he won't. Either of those answers is for your good. Amen, church? But that doesn't mean you can't ask. That doesn't mean you can't ask. God, we are broke. (laughs) Ever prayed to God like that? God, we are broke. Please help. Because one of the promises of the Lord for those who believe and follow in him and trust him and tithe and all those different things is that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until there is no more need. Amen? Amen. He, he clothes the lilies of the field. He provides for the birds of the air. How would we ever think that he wouldn't provide for us so we can hold fast to those covenantal promises? Those are covenantal promises. God, help! And maybe he'll answer in the way that we want him to or maybe he won't. But we can still ask. And whatever answer he gives will be for your what? For your good. See, yes, that's the truth of the power of God. Now today, I want to give us a new one. So that's all stuff we've talked about, but I want to give us a new one. In trial, we must seek guidance from the Lord. Now remember, David's in trial and he's on trial. And what is common in these situations, whenever you're going through difficulty, whenever you're going through a trial is is confusion, right? Oh gosh, I don't know why this is happening. What, what did I do? Did I do something wrong to deserve this? These people are telling me something's wrong. Oh, no, what's happening right now? There's a degree of confusion. It's like, um, it's like being out to sea in the middle of a storm. Any of y'all ever worked oil field before? I got any guys? Yeah, y'all work. You ever been on a rig whenever a big storm starts to roll in? Can't see nothing around you. Got, and then suddenly you get disoriented, right? You don't know which way is north. You don't know which, which direction is. But when the sun's out, you at least have a clue. But when you can't see that anymore and you can't see four feet in front of you, everything changes pretty quickly. It's like trials are like being out in the midst of a storm. It's disorienting. It's confusing. Which direction should we go? How do I go where I I need to go? And in these disorienting situations, what do you need? You really need a a compass, right? You need something that's going to tell you the right direction to go. You need something that's going to tell you where north is. That's exactly what David appeals to. Go back to 1 Samuel 30 and look with me there in verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? You see what's happening here. He's in the midst of this trial. All his people's families are gone. All he has left is the men. And he says, what do I do? And he seeks for the counsel of God. And notice, 
David, the civil ruler, is appealing to Abiathar and also David-ish, the priest, as well. You have the civil authority appealing to the priest, appealing to to the authority of God. And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David needs guidance. He needs information. And so he goes to God's representative to seek that information. He seeks the counsel of those that he, he needs. Those godly people, his, his pastor, functionally is what he's doing here in these moments. He's going to the word of God and he's seeking and trying to figure out what he should do next. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith does what? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen. So when you go through trials and hardships and difficulties, you can ask, God, I don't know what's going on. Please help. (laughs) God, please tell me. Please tell me what's going on. Anybody, please give me a clue. One of the promises that in trial, in times of being disoriented, of not knowing which way north is, of not knowing, we can pray and ask for direction from the Lord, and he will give us wisdom. He will. Whether it's through his people, whether it's through the leadership of the church, whether it's through his word, the Bible gives you a covenantal promise, Christian. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, I want to go through one of the pri- a few of the primary ways through which God guides us, and then we're going to start to wrap this bad boy up. Because God does guide us as his people, but how does he guide us? Is it like all ham shamalaka, give me a vision, oh God, is it that, you know, or what, what are we talking about here? I want to list through several of the primary mechanisms that God uses to guide his people. Number one is providence. God is sovereign over all things. Amen? God is sovereign over all things. He controls every last detail of the universe, which means that one of the primary ways that he communicates to his people is through his providence on the earth, his control. One of the mechanisms that, well, one of the sayings, let me say it that way. One of the sayings that I like to say is you jiggle the handle and you see if the door opens. Okay? It's called my jiggle handle jiggling philosophy. Maybe I won't say that again. But you follow my principle, right? The, The idea is, Lord, is this your will? I don't know, but providence? Let's find out. Now, obviously, if the Bible says that that particular thing is sin, guess what it ain't? The will of God. And you need to run from that and run fast. But the Lord, one of the primary ways that he communicates through his, to his people is through providence, through open and closed doors. But that's not, that's not enough to just go off of that, okay? You also need God's revelation that he gives us through his word. You need, you need special revelation. So that means that we need to know what? His word. We need to know his scriptures. If we don't know what the Bible says, then how are we going to know whenever we face certain situations if that's sin or not sin? If we don't know what the Bible tells us in the first place, we have to know his word. And if we don't know his word, you're going to stumble and fall all over yourself. No. So God speaks to us through open and closed doors, but not that by itself. We also must be informed by his word. And we need wisdom to discern when decisions have to be made that God's law doesn't specifically say. Now, 
Here's the dangerous part when we start using words like wisdom. Okay? Wisdom is not something completely disconnected from the Bible. Okay? Are you following with me here? What does the Bible say? If we want wisdom, where do we go for it? The Bible, right? Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 makes that very clear. If you want wisdom, the, the Bible says go to the Bible and learn wisdom. Get wisdom. Chase after it. It's not something that is completely disconnected. Although in the instances where we see things that aren't necessarily direct commands in the Scripture, we need wisdom to know how to apply all of Scripture in the specific situation that the Lord has given us. It's not something outside of the Bible. It's built upon it. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Y'all ever heard that verse before? I'm about to teach y'all something. You ready? Here we go. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Write this down. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, there's, if you come to our hermeneutics class on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, what I, I would highly encourage you to do, we're learning how to read the Bible rightly. And there's a certain principle of interpretation called parallelism. Everybody say that with me. Parallelism. Okay. Now, the Proverbs are written largely in that style, parallelism, which means they say the same thing twice. You ever notice that as you're going through and reading the Proverbs? It kind of says the same thing twice, and then the next line says the same thing twice, and the next line says something else, and it says it twice. But they'll utilize parallelism in order to further explain and drive home a point. And sometimes it'll be the opposite. Sometimes they'll say the opposite in the second statement, or sometimes they'll just restate the first statement in a different way. And that's what we're seeing right here. So let's dive in a little bit. How many times have you ever, how many of y'all have heard the verse where there is no vision, the people perish? Y'all heard that verse before? Everybody's heard that verse before. Now here's the deal. They're not talking about leadership vision in that verse. That's the wrong understanding. And the parallelism in the rest of that passage explains that clear as day. Watch. Where there, is no par- where there is no vision, a people perish. Some translations say where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. They're not talking about leadership vision. They're not talking about a direction to go. They're talking about wisdom from God. Where there is no vision, where there is no guidance, where there is no commands of God, where the word of God is not, a people perish. That's what that verse is saying. Where the commands of God are not present, a people perish. Where there is no guidance from God's word, a people perish. Where there is no vision that we receive from God's word, a people perish. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So how do we get wisdom? Bible and folks who believe the Bible. Amen? And we dig in hard right there. And this is why David, when he's in trouble, who's he call? Yo, priest, Abiathar. Man, if somebody, one of y'all who is like about to have a kid, if you have a boy, could you name it Abiathar? I would like give you the, come on, Dupuis, no? Oh, man. Or maybe if you get a dog. I don't know. Like, I just want something in our church to be named Abiathar. That'd be awesome. David calls out to the priest. Why? Because he needs wisdom. And he knows exactly where to go. He goes to the commands of God. He goes to the people of God. And he receives wisdom from there. And this is why we should go to those in our life that God has put over us and beside us. Parents. Parents are a great source of wisdom. Pastors. Great source of wisdom. Elders. Great source of wisdom. Older men and women in the faith. Great source of wisdom. Hold fast to them. 
But asking for guidance is one thing, right? You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Asking for guidance, that's, that's one thing. We can all get advice. Y'all ever seen somebody go advice shopping before? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They, they go and they get their abundance of counselors. Yeah. And what winds up happening? They find the one that says what they wanted them to say. And they're like, I got advice. See? And then you say, how many people told you to do that? That's stupid. <laughs> you got bad advice. Oh, the other 99 people that you asked said not to do that. How about that? You know what I'm talking? You can do that. Go counselor shopping. And that's why the Lord gives us pastors. Boom. And that's why the Lord gives us parents. Boom. Because you can only advice shop so far in those situations, right? You can only go so far. But asking for counsel, asking for guidance is one thing. Following it, that's different, right? Following it is very different. Because sometimes the direction the Lord wants you to go in, it's not that you can't see what it is. It's that you don't necessarily want to do it. We'll talk more about that next time. Let's pray.